Crossroad International Church podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. Turn with me in your, in your Bibles, if you will, to Galatians. This week and next week will be our last two weeks in Galatians as we wrap up this, this uh, book of the Bible. Again, the, the title of the series is Faith Under Fire. And, and as you've seen, the stance that's been taken by the Apostle Paul from the very beginning was that, that works do not earn anything in God's eyes, that we are helpless And it's only through the blood of Christ, it's only through the cross that we are found acceptable and accepted by a holy God. It's this idea of justification by faith, as we said, that we are found in a state of being that we can come to a holy God, and it's by faith alone. I like the way the ESV Bible lays it out uh, the past few weeks, as Pastor Steve has been sharing, but... In chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, it talked about Christian liberty, that in Christ, in this idea of justification by faith, we have a freedom that we, that we would not otherwise have. It frees us not to shirk responsibility or not to not do good things or good works, but that those good works in themselves do not make us justified. In chapter 5, verses 13, 13 through 15, it talks about the law and love. Love your neighbor as yourself, which fulfills the law. In chapter 5, 16 through 26, it talked about the flesh and the spirit in this battle between the two and which, which side are you pursuing and which side are you allowing to have place in your life. And finally, today, we will be looking at chapter 6, in verses 1 through 5, it's talking about a, sin, a person that's caught in sin, a brother or sister in Christ, and how we can restore them. And then we'll be also speaking about giving in verses 6 through 10. The title of today's message is, Here, Let Me Hold That. Here, Let Me Hold That. Um, there's two moments or things in my life that I experience often that terrify me and that I struggle with. One is when I have to order food in a drive-thru for the entire family. I panic, and I'm not going to lie. Leanna makes fun. She's laughing up here because I just feel stressed out, you know? And like the person on the other side that I can't even see, this voice in the box is waiting for my order for five people in the car, and the boys are in the back deciding what they want, and this week they want to change their mind, you know? So that's uh, a confession I have as a pastor, and please pray for me in that as we continually <laughs> go through the McDonald's drive through and I grow in that area. The second one is when we go grocery shopping, and I, well, typically it's when I'm by myself, and I come in, and I, and you have to make that decision. Maybe some of you are better than that, but do I grab a basket or don't I? Do I get a shopping cart or not? 
you know, I'm only here for a few things, and I have this moment of decision. Do I, do I get the basket or not? And without fail, every time I get the basket, I show up to the front of the register with two items in it. And people are looking at me like, what is wrong with you? You know, I'm trying to push my way through the aisles, and I've got two things. When I don't get a basket, that's the time I'm going to get, like, you know, cat food and all these big, huge things. And I'm like, look like a circus act rolling up to the front. And it, without fail, in any kind of store, if you ever go out or somebody, if they're, especially the, the workers that are aware and do their job well, they're going to say, here, let me hold that. Here, let me give you a hand. And today, as we, we go into this message, we're going to begin by this discussion about when you see somebody in sin and, and, and how to come in and, and to give a hand and to help out. Two themes I want us to be focused on today. Two themes throughout this entire time today. And, and the first one is personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. And this is a point I want to bring home on this right, off the, right at the beginning here, is that when we live in a Christian body like this with a mindset that my sin and my failure to live a life that's pleasing to God only affects me. When there is sin in your life, and especially the visible sins we're pretty good at, but those hidden sins, sometimes I like to call them those pet sins that we become familiar with, that seem to be insignificant, it, we have a personal responsibility because those sins will affect how you can operate and serve and help and minister in the body of Christ. If somebody else is caught in sin, if somebody else is struggling, what happens when you have sin in your own life? You feel guilty, don't you? You feel like, how can I ever minister? How can I help? How can I come alongside someone when I myself am struggling? It affects other people. Your sin affects the body of Christ. Okay? We need each other. We are called a body of Christ. He could have called us anything. He could have called us a tree or a whatever, a canoe. He called us the body of Christ because every part is important for your body to function properly, isn't it? Have you ever stubbed your little pinky insignificant toe on the corner of the furniture? It affects you, doesn't it? Yep. You probably have to repent afterwards for what you say or what comes out of your mouth. But it hurts, doesn't it? And so we also, as insignificant as you may think you are, you matter here in the body of Christ. You matter to the body of Christ. After personal responsibility, we also have mutual accountability. Okay? Mutual accountability. This is relational connection in the church. This, this is why we, we push life groups here. This is why, if you just come here on Fridays, and if you just come in and you walk out, that's not great. But even if you come in and you kind of hang out and talk to people for a minute, the reality is, is most of us aren't going to know you or know what you're struggling with unless you spend significant time outside of this building. All right? going to lunch, going to somebody's home, spending time. You don't have to do it with every single person, 
but this is really what life groups foster is this is a smaller group of people who you should be able to be transparent with, who you should be able to uh, share things with, and who should know you well enough to recognize when you're struggling. This is a vital component, again, to this local church and to the body of Christ. Mutual accountability. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, no one would admit that, hey, I love to be corrected. I love to be, have my shortcomings pointed out. But if you know that person cares for you and loves you, then you can receive a whole lot better, can't you? Because you know they're coming from a place, and there might be an initial kind of getting upset or things like that, but you know that person cares for you, so why wouldn't you be able to receive what they're saying? Personal responsibility, mutual accountability. Galatians 6, verse 1 says this, Brothers, if someone, I'll be reading from the Holman Christian, so it might be a little different than what's behind me. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone and not in respect to someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Now, throughout this whole time today, you're going to, it's, if you look closely, you're going to see these two themes of personal responsibility and mutual accountability woven throughout everything. There's not like a section of personal responsibility and a section of mutual accountability. You're going to see this kind of how these things work together, okay? And the, the first thing I want to bring out here is in verse 1, it says, Restore a person with a gentle spirit. If you walk up to somebody who's caught in sin or you see somebody that needs correction and you're like, aha, I gotcha. What are you doing? How you doing? That's not the attitude we're supposed to have, is it? That's not the attitude we're supposed to have. Unfortunately, it may not come across that heavy, but how I think often, but let's not say often, sometimes if we're not careful, we can come at it with the wrong attitude. We can see ourselves as like, I would never do something like that. This word here of, of uh, with a gentle spirit, okay, it's also translated in the spirit of humility. Now, Leanna, we joke about this, and maybe you've heard this before, but maybe you know somebody that, is proud of their humility. Right? No, no, no. You go first. I'll stay here. I'll wait here in the back of the line, just back here by myself. You go ahead. Everybody hear that in the room? Listen, when we're like in line for food and stuff at these fellowships thing, if somebody says, go ahead, I have no problems walking in front of you. I'm not going to get into a humility battle when I'm hungry, especially. It's like, okay, I'll go first. I'll go the front line. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, 
But you see people, don't you? And, and, and I think we can sometimes drift into this a little bit where we put on this persona of humility, but it's very obvious that there's pride there. And this is not what is being discussed here. This is not uh, what Paul is getting at. You see, true gentleness, true humility only comes from the Spirit of God. Do you understand that? It only comes from the Spirit of God. Look, if you have your Bibles or if you can follow me, rest of my back in verse 22, this might sound familiar, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Where is that from? The fruit of the Spirit. Do you know what that means? That means in ourselves, we, have, we don't have humility. It's only from the Spirit of God that true humility can come forth. And so when we engage with somebody that is in sin, it must be from a place that the Spirit of God is operating in our lives and we're able to come in as in true humility as a, uh, to bring correction here to somebody that's wrong. Now, in this, in this verse here, in chapter, or chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Watching out for yourselves so you also won't be tempted. Now, I'll, again, being honest with you, I've typically read this as, you know, if somebody's struggling with alcohol and you were a, an alcoholic in the past, it's probably not a good idea to, to truly fully engage with that person. You know, I mean, God can protect you, but it might, you just need to be very careful. But after studying this much deeper and further, I believe what... what the Apostle Paul really is pointing at a temptation here is not necessarily the sin that the person is in, but instead the temptation towards pride. Towards pride. The whole, when Jesus says, you know, you see the speck in someone else's eye, but you ignore the log in your own eye. Because, church, listen, it is, it is too easy when you see somebody in sin, if you are not careful, pride can creep in. Right? I was talking to somebody once, or maybe you've been in part of this, and you, you go to uh, some kind of counseling seminar, right? And you hear other people's problems, and suddenly you don't feel so bad anymore. Like, well, compared to that, we're pretty normal. We should be given the class. Right? But we're not perfect people, are we? There's always something we can be getting. There's always something we can be learning. And when we go in, and I would challenge you, when, if you are going to go in to bring correction to somebody, you better be doing so with the mirror in front of your face in full view of every single sin that you carry or that you struggle with in your life. You need to do so in a place of, of recognition that you are no better than that person. You may struggle with a different flavor of sin, that's maybe not visible as theirs are. But we need to do so in a spirit of humility. And you need to spend time with God in prayer before you go, come in to correct somebody. And I would encourage you to do so. And once again, notice what Paul's saying here is he is, he's saying that we are to do this though. If we are in community, if we love each other, if I love you and you are headed for a cliff or you are headed for disaster, wouldn't I say something to prevent you from that? Now, you may not listen, but if I truly care about you, that's what we do, right? That's what we should do. But the church is crippled when we cannot go to one another and address that when there's sin in people's lives. 
Church, a healthy church is one that can share and we bear each other's burdens and we can go to each other. And when we see something, because we're in community and we're connected, we go in and say, you know what? I don't know that this is the best thing that you're doing here. I see this in your life. How can I help? I wanna help you. Living in community, carrying one another's burdens. Again, life groups are great, but then also on top of that, you know, you need to have somebody in your life. Those of you, you know, if you're married, a spouse should be hopefully one of those people. My wife is really great at pointing out places I'm struggling with in love. But you also need, it's good to have another person as well. If you're a guy, you need a guy that you can just dump everything on and they can listen and they can help and they can journey with you. Your pastor does that. Your pastor, I lead by example, I promise you. There are men in my life that I can go to, that I can be fully transparent with and say, this is where I'm struggling. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? And when I fall, if I make a mistake, I let them know. And they do the same thing with me. If you do not have that in your life, you need it. You need it. Now, word of caution, make sure you know who you're speaking to. All right? Don't go find the first person after service or if there's a new a visitor here, please don't lead with that. Say, hey, can I just tell you some things about me? Please don't. No, know the person. Know where they're at. Make sure they're spiritually mature and can handle and keep in confidence the things you share. Carrying one another's burdens, right? And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is simply loving the Lord your God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the short version. Loving God and loving people. You know what's amazing is that if we are loving God, and on top of that, we're loving others, it leaves very little time to fall into pride in our own lives. Because notice that there's no um, definition of others here, is there? Does it say the, the nice people or the people that treat you the best or... No, we're supposed to love Jesus. I mean, we love the people that are in the world. We love people that sin. We show the love of Christ because that's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to do when you work with these people that irritate you or maybe they backstab you. How do you show the love of Christ to those people? And I promise you too, when you are loving God, when you are spending time with God and you're, you're, you're in his word, it will become very clear when pride is creeping up. But the problem is, is when we, we pull back and we haven't been in the word or haven't spent time praying or haven't been around other Christian believers, then, you know, we kind of, again, we start this comparison, comparing righteousness, if you will. And again, we're doing pretty good considering somebody else. Also in this section, where's Paul's focus at? Where is his primary focus? He makes one short reference to the person who's being restored. The rest of the time is the person that's engaging with that person that's in sin, isn't it? He cares more here about the people of the body of Christ, about the person that's 
doing the restoration, not as much as the person that's in sin. While sin is wrong and sin is bad and everything else, but Paul here is focused on our, our attitude and the spirit of which we go in to speak to a person that's in sin. So take note of that. Part of our individual, personal, if you will, responsibility is to carry the burdens of others. Church, this is not, it's, it's not always a fun thing to do this. Most of you, if you're like me, you're probably like, I have enough to carry on my own. How can I ever stop and actually carry someone else's burdens? You know what carrying, carrying someone else's burdens is? That's loving someone more than yourself. That's making time for someone when it's inconvenient. That's driving across Kuwait to meet with somebody because they need to at a very inconvenient time when you have other things to do. That is loving someone else. That's carrying a burden. That's when that meeting is done, checking back with that person. That's when that meeting is done, you're praying for that person every single day. You're, you're remembering that person and checking in with them and seeing how they're doing because you care about this person. When I was in the military, especially like basic training, I remember very clearly, one of the first things they instill is that if, if, if the whole squad doesn't make it, if everyone doesn't succeed, then the whole squad fails. And so I remember on our, uh, we call them ruck marches, you know, backpack thing, walking, long distances, uh, helmet, flak vest, like, you know, plates, 30-pound backpack, weapon, boots, all this stuff. So it's, it's a lot of weight to carry. And we would, you know, go on these uh, forced marches, as they call them. And so you're just walking, you know, just to, for training. And I remember this one day, fortunately, I'd played soccer a lot of my life. So I was in pretty decent shape. But some people just showed up to basic, like <laughs> coming straight from Burger King or something. And like, okay, let's just magically make this happen. And they were hurting. And they, it took them at least, it took them a while to get into a decent physical shape to be able to succeed. Well, some of these people on the, the marches, I remember one time in specific, I was hurting. I mean, I was still, this, these were not fun and I was, it was hurting. I think I had a blister on my heel and it was, you know, bleeding in my sock and all this stuff. Maybe more information you wanted, but it was, it was painful. And so I'm walking along and, and one of our, our soldiers was falling out of the march. They were falling behind. And I'm like, we can't, you can't do this because basically we would have to all turn around and, or something. If, if we all didn't make it, then we were going to get punished basically. And so me and the, another guy in the back, we were kind of bringing up the rear. And so we ended up taking this person's rucksack. And I think I took the rucksack and then they took like the other weapon and stuff. And we had to help this person succeed and get to the end of the march. Now, let me explain to you, if it wasn't clear enough with my, my, my bloody blister story, I was in pain and I was hurting and I was struggling with my own burdens, I assure you. And to carry someone else's burdens on top of my own was not a pleasurable experience. There was nothing inside of me that naturally was inclined to that. However, <laughs> for the sake of all of us succeeding and getting to the end, we, we helped and we journeyed with that person and got them to the end. And, and time after time, every single thing that you do throughout basic training, it's always this idea of succeeding as together. If one of you crosses the finish line without the rest, it does nothing. 
And so we need to remember this and keep this uh, in our mind. And remember that it's, it's two-sided too. One thing I just want to touch on is that that person that needs help, you can offer it, but they have to be willing to receive it. Okay? It doesn't mean you say, hey, can I help you? No, okay, and you just walk away. But if, if you're trying and they're not receiving, I mean, you can only do so much. You pray for them and, and you pray that, that they will, because really, what is that? What are they struggling with? Pride, right? It's on the other side of it. You might be coming in humbly to help, but they're too prideful to say, yes, I need help. And so if you're here today and you are, you know, strong-headed and you are not willing to admit when you have too much, you know what that is? That's pride. That's pride. And you need to ask for help. Now, in verse 6, the one who is taught the message must share all his good things with the teacher. This is why we preach through the Bible. I didn't handpick this scripture today to share with you, to, to ask you for more money or to request the shirt that you have on because I like it. This is biblical, and we're going to touch on it for a minute. So it's okay. You can let go of your wallets. I'm not going for that. I just want you to listen to what we're going to say here for the next few minutes. I like what John Stott says about this, this verse is that typically there's two extremes, okay? One is abuse by the minister. As many of you, I'm sure, have been exposed to, there's plenty of people on television. Not all of them are bad, but many who will ask and twist and, and, and you know, put the music on and show you the whatever scene. But the truth is, is there are ministers and there are people that are very good. Not, I wouldn't even call them ministers. They're, they are acting as ministers. And in the name of Jesus, they're requesting things that really they have no business requesting. It's for selfish gain. It's for, you know, pers- uh, pushing themselves forward and, and propelling themselves to the top. That's the one side of abuse of giving. Okay. The other side is abuse by the congregation, by people in the congregation, meaning this idea of, you know, our pastors should have a poor and humble spirit. Lord, you keep them humble, we'll keep them poor. Now, let me just say from the get-go, I am grateful for this church and for those that are on the, the uh, remnant, the leadership of this church. From the get-go, we made a hard decision to support two pastors to get this church up and running um, and more than generous to have done so consistently and I'm well taken care of by this church. So I just want to say thank you to the leadership and to those here that give on a consistent basis. And so we're not, we're not talking about that here, but this, is, this can become a, a problem, you know, and there are people that come through. Uh, one of the, the realities here that's, that's challenging, unlike where I'm from in the States, many churches, you have, if you have membership, you're going to write your name on the envelope, or you can do it, you know, with your card. And so they have records of your giving. For the most part, other than a few uh, Americans who give online, I have no idea what you do. I promise you there's no, there's no hidden camera on the offering box looking at who's giving what or who's giving or not giving. And so just, I just want to encourage you to continue on and, and to, to give generously to what we're doing here at this church. Okay, it is between you and God. We have we're not going to ask you what you give. 
But, you know, one of those things, and this is one of the, I guess, the struggles with that, is that, you know, there are churches in the States that if you haven't given for a while, they will call you. Now, I know a lot of you get shocked, right? But let me just say, they call you to ask you if everything's okay. This is one church I found, and, and it was, I was like, I never thought of it. I was the same way. I'm like, excuse me? But they called to say, you know, you haven't been giving. Is everything okay? And can we help somehow? Are you struggling with it? Is there, is there a reason that you're not able to give right now? And if you're honest, now let me, sorry, I'm gonna dig in there a little bit, but mutual accountability, wouldn't that be that? Or does that, is that everything excluding your money? But if we're mutually accountable, then we should be so in every area. Now, don't tell me what you're giving. I don't wanna know that. But what I'm saying is that we need to be accountable. And the accountability on your side, really, is to be faithful in your giving. All right, one of the struggles here in Kuwait is that many people see this as a, this is a temporary place for them, and so they have their home church back home. Now, I get that. I get the, the struggle. However, if you're here nine months out of the year and you're home three months out of the year, where, where's your home church at? And if you're giving back there and not giving here, I promise you uh, there's no magic money tree in the back closet somewhere that God has planted you know, we depend on, on the giving here. So I would just encourage you, however you need to weigh that out, but to be faithful with where you are. If your church really needs and is struggling that bad back home, maybe I'm wrong, but give, give to them if they really need it, okay? Be faithful where you're at. The whole thing, if you, you don't eat at Burger King and pay at McDonald's, okay? Still, we still good? You still with me or Jude? You go out now. All right, let's continue on. Let's go on to some more stuff that doesn't talk about money. All right, verse seven. Don't be deceived. All right, God is mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. So, we, notice the shift here, okay? He was talking about for in a general kind of idea for when a man sows, now he's getting personal. So we must not get tired of doing good for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. I want you to see here that doing good equals sowing and reaping. Has anybody ever gardened or worked in a farm field or anything like that? Has anybody ever planted a seed of any kind? Okay, we'll start there. So if you plant a seed and you come back the next day, how, how encouraging is that? It's not, is it? You know, because why? Because typically, hopefully, unless... If, if I'm breaking it to you now is the first time, sorry, but you know, you're going to have to wait a little while. And what do you have to do? Do you just plant it and walk away? No, you have to tend to it. You need to water it. You make sure there's not weeds in there. You need to maybe get it some sunlight, all these kinds of things. And slowly, you'll start to see a little, just a little thing shoot up. And, and there's, you've, you've continued and you've been diligent about sowing. And so one day you can reap. You know, if you plant a, an orange tree, one day it will produce fruit, but it's going to take a while, isn't it? So in verse 10, notice it says, therefore, as we have opportunity, 
We must work for the good of all. Are you looking for opportunity to do good? This convicted me. I can tend to fill my life with busyness. I can tend to fill my schedule and I get to the place sometimes where if I'm not careful, I can walk past an opportunity where there's a need because I'm too busy. And as a pastor, I can even sweeten the deal a little more and I'm too busy doing the Lord's work. Instead of getting involved with this, this scene, this, this mess over here that's maybe a little ugly, but I know I'm gonna have to get my hands dirty if I get in there, it's much like the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here's this Jew on the side of the road and the other two, his brothers, basically other Jewish guys saw him and walked to the other side and just walked past him. The Samaritans were outcasts by the Jews. They saw them as like a half-breed. They, they mistreated them often. Yet that is the one who stopped and didn't just say, hey, you good? But actually pulled him up, took him to a, a, a hotel or inn or whatever, paid for his stay, made sure he was taken care of. Do you think that was convenient? No. And if we're not careful, we get our lives going so quickly and we want it to be so streamlined that if it falls outside of the context of convenience, we just walk past it. Because that'll take too much effort. That'll take too much time. And I'm, I'm guilty as well. And I have to watch this in my own life. Don't be afraid to stop and get your hands dirty. And don't fill your life with so many things that you aren't able to do so. In conclusion, and it's a long conclusion, so don't unbuckle your seatbelts or anything yet. In conclusion, a few points here I wanna, I wanna just share with you. Now, in this whole section, Paul is not, not speaking of all of us moving into like this chebbed compound together, and we all just dwell out there in blissful harmony as a body of Christ, okay? The reason we do it just overnight for two days is because that's about all we can handle uh, being in that close quarters with everybody, right? And then we just all got to go back to our own happy places. Um, that is not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about everybody moving in together and we just, we live this. Now, again, I know there's people and there's uh, just uh, groups that choose to do this and communal living. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong. What I'm saying is that Paul, this is not Paul's point here. That's one side, one extreme, if you will. The other side is that he's also not speaking of complete isolation. He's not speaking of complete isolation where you have no contact with anyone else and you just pull back because you want to stay holy and you want to stay in this happy place and so you just don't have any interaction with people. These are both extremes of what Paul is, is trying to get across here. If you are an introvert, you need community. If you are an extrovert and the life of the party and love big groups of people, you need times of solitude. Bottom line, you have to have that. If you get too much into one ditch, it's not going to be healthy and it's not going to be good. One way I see this, one place I see this is, um, it's predominantly an Asian mindset, but also other, other places of the world have this mindset of communal living, where you can find three generations of a family in one house. But then you go to the Western world, and we've got the individual side down where, you know, I'm, as soon as I was free, I'm like, I'm, I'm, see you later. I'm gone. I don't need, you're on, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. 
And even to this day, like me, my brothers and I, we're probably not a good example. I know there's other people that are better, but you know, I, one of my brothers, I don't think I've talked to in like a year and a half. Not that we don't like each other. We just got our own things going on. And that's, I know some of you are saying like, how in the world could you not talk to your brother every single day or your parents, you know? So this is the, we're on the other extreme. Both sides have strengths and weaknesses. The communal mindset, when they choose to get married and (laughs) the husband's trying to lead the home as per what the Bible says and make decisions, but when he says something to his spouse and she's like, well, let me go downstairs and talk to my mom about it first. There's nothing wrong with speaking to your parents about big decisions, but at the end of the day, there's a reason the Bible says, you know, to leave and cleave. There's, there's a, you know, you are, it doesn't say your mom and your husband and the, the bride or the wife all become one flesh. It's a little too many, few too, one too many people in the boat, okay? It's the husband and wife become one. I see people nudging and smiling and like kind of elbowing. So I'm just going to stay here for just a second. Both have strengths and weaknesses. We're on the other extreme, again, the Western side, we just don't have any communication. We don't talk and we just want to be by ourselves and we don't glean wisdom from our families. Listen, I say it often and I'm gonna say it again. This is your standard. This is your standard of living, okay? I don't care, you could be from Pluto for all I care. This is the standard that we operate from. If you do things that are not found in this, now there's some good things that can be added that, you know, not to scripture, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying you can, there's just general practices. But listen, there are biblical uh, principles and things for your success outlined here. This is where we must go to. And if you come to me, if there's a dispute in your family, what we will do is we will sit down and we will look at scripture together. And this scripture, the Bible will dictate if there is somebody that's wrong, who's wrong, who's right, or which side's right or wrong, or if both sides have some right. This is our standard. Listen, you have to apply this to your life. Culture is wonderful. There's some great things in culture, but culture is not scripture. It does not supersede the Bible. And that's hard for some people to hear, when it goes, it's different than what culture is, but it's the truth. And so I'm gonna share the truth with you and the Bible is truth. Regardless of where we're from, how we were raised, what happened to us that shaped us into the person we are today, the Bible teaches us that we are personally responsible for everything we are and everything we do, regardless of the causes and problems we might have. It's just my, it's the nature that's in me, you know, because my father and his father and his father did this, you know, so I just, I just have to do it. Listen, there are tendencies and I do address that, you know, there are tendencies or there's things from generations that get passed along or, you know, you may just because of whatever culture or how you were raised or maybe a horrific event happened in your life when you were younger, Legitimate things. I'm not taking away from any of that. What I'm saying is, is we are not given the opportunity to use those as excuses to stay where we are. Now, you may be struggling with it. You may be trying to work through it. Again, some things, some bad things happen to people. Horrific things can happen to you. And I'm not taking anything away from that. What I'm saying is, is don't get, don't get caught up or don't buy into the fact that you have to accept that is who you are. 
Who you are is who you are in Christ Jesus. He makes all things new. These scriptures that talk about this, that we are a new creature in Christ, okay? It may not happen, you know, and those, the mindset may not change immediately, but you have the capability through the power of Christ to get past whatever it is you're struggling with. And I want that to be an encouragement to you today. Don't settle for Satan's lie that you have to be how you are and there's just no changing it because that's just the hand you were dealt. You may have to work. You may have to work the rest of your life to get past that. I mean, in my own life, I grew up in a, a home. Again, parents slept in separate bedrooms, argued every day, but we were in church three times a week. But you know what? My wife and I just celebrated 16 years of marriage. We still stay in the same room, even with my snoring. And we're choosing to raise our children in a way that was different than how we were raised. And it is hard. We joke around all the time, but listen, our philosophy is basically do everything opposite of how we were raised and we should land somewhere pretty good. And it's worked so far. She comes from a hard background too. But what I'm telling you is don't buy into that. If you had great parents, then great. You're, you're a further ahead. But if you had bad parents or you had bad whatever, just get on with your life. Ask God to help you, give you the strength. Get around healthy people. The whole community side, remember? Get around healthy people that, that do things well, that where you, where you lack, and learn and glean. We should, shouldn't believe that there is some version of community that's free of offense. Okay, church? When we choose to be in community with each other, we're gonna offend each other. But instead of getting upset, it's, it is the grace that we are given through Jesus Christ that makes us able to continue and be an example to others. See, the body of Christ, the church here, we should be an example to the rest of the world of how it can work. This is what drives me you know, crazy when I see uh, churches that are you know, and wars going on all the time and all this backbiting and how the world's like, I'm better off out here. I'll take my chances in the world than inside that church. And it's the same even with the marriages and everything else. So personal responsibility, mutual accountability. We must, okay, this is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a German theologian, long story short, but he was a martyr in the early 1900s. And this is what he said. He says, we must confront one another because nothing can be more cruel than tenderness that delivers another to his sin, while nothing can be more compassionate than the severe, severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. Okay, let me read that again. Nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that delivers another to his sin. Did you catch that? The tenderness that delivers somebody. Like, oh, you're in sin, it's, it's okay. We all struggle with that. No, it's not okay. Yes, we all struggle with it, but it's not okay. Hey, why don't we meet once a week? Why don't, why don't you just give me a call when you're struggling with this? Don't try to be such a good friend that you let your friend go off the edge. If you're not in a place, in a friendship, especially if it's a close friend, that you can be honest, I, don't, I would question your definition of true friendship. We need to be able to be honest. 
And again, then the other side of that, while nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother or sister back from the path of sin. We are to live responsibly before a holy God as individuals and sustain ourselves through fellowship and mutual accountability. Do you guys get the theme? Did I get it across? Do you have it memorized now? Mutual accountability. Mutual accountability, personal responsibility. Listen, church, in closing, last thing is that one day we will stand before a holy God and give an account for our life. No one is going to be standing next to you. You are going to stand and you will give an account for every single thing, every single moment that you had on this earth and what you did with it. God is holy and we have to give an account. Scott McKnight says this, he says, the foundation for Christian behavior is the grace of God that awakens us, the love of God that stirs us to action, and the holiness of God that stiffens our resolve to obey him. And behind each of these is the fact that God will be our judge, that we will give account to him for everything done in the body, and that God is altogether honest and completely just. You know, the best example of how, how God is just and holy is Jesus Christ. See, God didn't just let us off the hook for our sin, did he? He loved us enough that he sent his son. He sent the means to be for restoration to take place with us and the heavenly father. But did Jesus just come to earth and then pop smoke and go? No, he didn't, did he? He had to go to the cross. He had to suffer immense torture and pain and, and, and suffered on a cross, the most excruciating death one can experience because our sin was that bad. And our sin, there was a, a price for our sin that he had to pay, okay? So God is holy and God is just. And we have to understand, church, that we have a personal responsibility and a mutual accountability. I just ask that you bow your heads here for a moment. As we wrap up our time here this morning, I want you just to, to ask God right now, and, and he, I know that he's already been speaking to you, but when I say personal responsibility, I want you just to Ask God, I want you to examine yourself and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you, have you been responsible? Are you living right before God? Are you in a position to extend help to someone else or are you just in a state of sinking yourself? Sin can just, if you're not careful, it can just sit there for so long. Like I said, it becomes almost like your pet. You become used to it. And if you see anything in your life right now, if you are sitting there and if God is showing you something right now, this is the beauty of the cross is that you can repent now. You can ask forgiveness and forgiveness is there. 
However, it does not stop there, meaning you've repented, but true repentance means not just asking for forgiveness, but now you turn away from that sin and you move the other direction. If you're truly a believer, you will make mistakes, and that's, that's the sins that we're talking about. But habitual sin is, is not right and is not godly. Our desires should be to be found holy and to be obedient to what God has said. And perhaps today you're doing pretty well in your life and you're living a life that's edifying to God, but maybe you haven't really connected here at CIC. Maybe you're not connected here even in Kuwait relationally with someone or this church. And I would encourage you today to, to begin to ask God, just, Lord, is there someone in my, in, in my world here, in my life here, that I can connect with? And I would also ask that you consider even a, a life group to join where there's a group of people, a community of people that you can get to know and that can get to know you and show you the love of Christ. And that can be another outlet for you to share. Church, we need accountability. We cannot, we cannot do it on our own. It was never designed that way. So if that's you today, if you're here in this place and you see something that you do not like today, you see something that you need to, to let go of or a place you need to grow in, I'd ask you just to turn it over to God today. And if you're here with somebody that you do trust, I would encourage you to share with them what God has shown you. Because what that is, is that's an accountability. The pastors are here as well to, to be there for you if it's something you're, it's very personal or that you're concerned to share this with anybody, that's why we're here. That's why Steve and I do what we do is, is to be available to you to journey with you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we, again, thank you for this time today. God, I thank you for this opportunity. for this time of year, for this, this week of Advent where we focus on the love that you've shown. The love that you've shown. And as with any parent, as any parent knows, if you truly love your child, you have to bring correction. And sometimes it's painful. But it's all out of love. So Lord, as we just put at the front of our, our mind today and in our thoughts, this, the love of God that was so great, Lord, that you didn't even spare your only son. What greater love can there be? Lord, help us to love each other well. Help us to be a community here, starting here, Lord, in this church, 
God, I thank you for the community that we are, Lord, but I know that we can grow closer together, that we be a, a like we be a family, as, as your word says, and that we be knitted together. And God, when, when trouble and struggles come, God, we just ask you, Lord, that you would help us to turn to one another. If we're offended here today, if you're sitting in your seat and you have an offense with somebody in this room, then you need to take care of that today. That's accountability. That's responsibility. Just feel God just impressing on me now just to share with you that the truth is that this church can never truly move forward and launch out into everything that God has intended until we are a knit community, until sin is is pushed out and we are standing and living a life open before a holy God, walking with one another. See, God is just looking. He's just searching for people that will humbly bow down, that will confess their sins and realize that it is a privilege and a pleasure to be used by God to accomplish his purposes. Great revival cannot happen. We cannot be stirred into action until first we address the sin that lingers in our lives. And my prayer, church, for this this body is that we go out in this region of the world, that we do things like no one has ever seen before. but emotionalism, all these other things are not gonna get us there. It's gonna be through what the word of God says. It's gonna be through repentance. It's gonna be through a humbling and just allowing God to move and to do what he wants to in this place. But we have to do it together. Much like that story I shared in the military, we have to do it together. One person can't cross the line by themselves. God, we ask that you would help us to come to that place. Lord, I thank you again for this time today. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. Lord, that your word has spoken to us. God, that we walk out of this place to put this word into action now and not let it just die. I pray that it goes beyond just the conviction, but that it it, it does transition into action and to change where it's needed. Thank you for your presence here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.